Welcome, Rockets fans, and thank you for joining the Chop Shop podcast once again. And we're going to make it through this day, come hell or high water. <laughs> we got our boy Alan Show with us. What's going on, Alan? Uh, not much, man. Trying to beat the heat in California. Uh, how are you guys living? <laughs> I'm chilling, Like man. always, got my boy F Tank 58, Frank the Tank. What's good with you, Frank? Chilling, bro. Chilling. We're going to get this in, man. I'm excited about this pod. Yeah. So, like, without further ado, we got to jump right in to Jalen Green's scoring ability. And like most Rockets fans predict in his near future that he probably will lead the league in scoring one day. And Frank actually broke it down, chopped it up like Frank does and got some graphs and got an article out. You want to take it from here, Frank? Tell them what you what you found out digging into them numbers, man. Yeah, you know, this was a conversation that we had, I think, maybe by November. I know when uh, Jalen was coming into the preseason, everybody was really excited about his scoring. One of the things that he was so uh, – that made him so appealing to, to the Rockets fans was just the, how dynamic he was on the G League at Ignite. If you watch them play, I mean, he's coming off of pin downs. He's coming off of curls. He's going to isolation. Um, scoring from the mid-range and then he gets to the Rockets and I mean he just goes from looking like you know a future star to there were jokes about him being the next PJ Tucker you know because we had him so much just waiting in the uh, weak side corner with his hands open waiting for you know begging that Christian Wood would pass him the ball or Kevin Porter Jr. or or even God forbid Tate um, doesn't have ton of vision to pass him the ball so you know, that question was always been something I looked at throughout the season. If people were in the spaces, pe- uh, you all remember that we really there was a lot of heated discussions about whether Coach Salas was using them properly. So when I was writing the article, it's really something that's been building up over the entire of um, of last season. And I think just having the full data from the season to really look at it was really amazing what I um, what I was able to um, find out uh, by looking at his stats. One of the key things that I looked at, and I, I like to get what you guys think about it, is um, his touches. And um, there was something early on that everybody pointed out. We know when a player is getting a touch on on the offensive possession, it usually tells you that they're involved. The highest touch players are the guys that are you know point guards and guys that are dribbling the ball, passing it, getting it passed back. And Jalen Green was projecting early on as a guy that was a, a three and D catch and shoot. Um, player with the number of touches. So I've always thought that was an issue. And it, to me, it turns out that it was true. Um, Alan, I wonder, what do you think about his touches, his usage, or how the team early on, how they were able to use him? I mean, that's been my, that's been my beef since the start is I don't think they were using him enough and I, I and I don't think they were using him properly. And that's why you see like post all-star break, he's, he's putting up amazing numbers just insane numbers, but pre all-star break, I think the Rockets had a lot to figure out uh, in terms of, they had a lot of mouths to feed. Uh, You look at it, Kevin Porter Jr. is going to take up a decent amount of setting the offense up and Kevin Porter Jr. If he's not scoring, he's not as good of a facilitator. He's got to be scoring. So that, but that is a double-edged sword because it cuts the other way. It takes away touches from Jalen Green. You're not looking at it like, Oh, Chris Paul, for instance, Chris Paul, can score zero points and still put up 12 assists. No problem. I don't think KPJ is like that. And that was a big problem early on. And then as you alluded to, you know, Christian Wood really thought, you know, 
he had a he had a little bit of a big head. Thought you know I'm the vet here. I deserve uh, all all the touches I can get. And then you've got other mouths to feed too. Like Eric Gordon comes in, and Eric Gordon's going to need some touches too because he's a tradable asset. We want him to look good. And uh, I admittedly, Eric Gordon not getting traded last season makes no sense to me because he did look good, but it still took away touches from Jalen Green. And you could see when they stopped going with those those moves and started concentrating more on Jalen Green, oh, suddenly he's playing like a number two pick. Shocker. Real quick, Spitz, one of the things that I did notice to Allen's point um, with the touches, and, it, you know, some people would say it's just because, you know, he got better throughout the season, but I was able to isolate the touches just by frequency. And regardless of what time of the year it was, when this kid touched the ball, he was dynamic. So if it was early on in October or November, it didn't matter. If you aggregated all those high-touch games where he's over 55, 60, he looked like the number two pick. And for the other games where he was less involved in the offense, um, you know, he still had the, you know, he looked okay, but he didn't look as good as he 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 needed to look. And um, one thing that also was interesting from Jalen Green's stats was that his um, his usage never changed. So, and this is what's so amazing about him. You have a guy that has, you can increase his touches, his points go up, his free efficiency goes up, but his usage doesn't go up. And what that's telling me is that he's not just chucking up shots because he's touching the ball more. You know what I mean? So it was just, it was very, that was, uh, to me, that, that was very eye-opening to see from Jalen Green. Yeah, I think it was frustrating for about the first three, four months of the season. And I think it kind of contributed to him getting hurt. Now, hear me out. He wasn't getting the ball when he enough to get into a rhythm. So he started forcing himself into a rhythm. We seen what he started going into double teams, big men under there. It didn't matter. He was just trying to go in there and make something happen because he just wasn't touching the ball enough. He started forcing and he ended up, uh, you know, pulling a little hammy. And I think that was have a lot to uh, to do with him just not getting the ball and getting the ball where he needs to be getting the ball at. He was trying to get it and just take it and ramrod it in there, and he's only 175 pounds, and he's going up trying to, you know, dunk on Rudy Gobert. He was trying to dunk on everybody because he just wanted to get the feel of the ball and put it in the goal. And he wasn't just getting the opportunities. And I don't know why it took Silas and them so long to actually get him involved. Just give him the ball. Do dribble hands off with him. Let him feel the ball. He wasn't even feeling the ball on a lot of positions where he just in the corner waiting to get spoon fed. Like like you said, like he's P.J. Tucker or J.J. Redick or somebody that's just a standing, uh, standing shoot three-pointer three type of guy. And it threw his whole rhythm off. But once we cleared the way and gave him the ball in his hands more, him and Kevin uh, Kevin Porter Jr., we seen exactly what he's capable of. And I think he will be, if not a if not a scoring champion, he's gonna be averaging 25 consistently. The thing that I really took away from, you know, just writing the article and just watching how he progressed over the entire season is the efficiency that he scores with. And I think what's scary about Jalen's abilities is that he's putting up numbers, um, especially in the second half of the season on, on a good volume of games, 
those that 32 game stretch he had um, after um, pretty much February, March and April. Um, I don't even do pre and post all star breaks. I just look at from February onwards and his his the efficiency and the amount of points he scored is pretty much uh, on pace with Clay Thompson's. And some people may say, well, that's not a big deal, right? You're putting up 20 plus points a game on um, like 53 touches a game. And I'll give you an example for somebody like Cade. Cade was um, averaging between 77 and 85 touches throughout the season. Guys like um, Jokic and Luka, they're in the hundreds um, throughout the season. So this should tell you what we're seeing from Jalen, even the 35, you know, five point 30 games, the 41 point games. He's doing this, getting the ball like a Clay Thompson. And what's so scary about that is we've seen what Clay can do. We've seen what Steph can do. But imagine if those guys had elite athleticism and one of the quickest first steps in the NBA and could get downhill at the drop of a dime and still be a near 60 percent true shooting percentage type of guy. That is what's scary about Jalen. I think that's like when you think of like the upside and the superstar ability, that's what really sticks out to me. Like it's something very special. With right. Him. One question, uh, Alan, you think Silas will be able to cater his offense to Jalen because we know his offense is a guard with the ball in his hands so much. And I think he sees that in KPJ. Do you think he will at least, uh, broach the thought of putting Jalen in those positions here in the near future? I think he has to. I, I, I really think, and you know, it, it, it's, it's crap or get off the pot time for him next season. And it's, it's one of those things where it, it, if they come out and they just try and do what they did this season with new, or sorry, they come out this season doing what they did last season with just new parts. It's it's not going to be any better. I, I would argue it's going to be worse because there's going to be growing pains. There's going to be issues. And I just, I don't see how you can't, you have to. Now, does he have the ability to unlock Jalen Green the way Mike Daniels Harden? I don't know. I, I haven't seen anything to say yes or no on that because he's such a new coach. Um, and, you know, you look at his most successful story, it's probably Luca. And I, I, I there's no way you can't look at Luca and look at Jalen Green and say, Oh, they're they're similar. No, they're they're completely different players. they they don't make sense together. So yeah, I I I don't know. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, honestly, with as far as what is can be attributed to Cosilas and what is just like these dudes are just good. Like, are you telling me like space, you think like Luca, if it was Coach Johnson or some random coach that was his uh the assistant coach for Rick Carlisle that Luca would would be a bum right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nah, it probably wouldn't matter who 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 that assistant coach was. True. Right. Or Steph or LeBron. I mean, I, I love the storyline with he, you know, like, you know, like I said, I'm not a coach Silas hater. I love the storyline like he did X, Y, and Z. But to me, I mean, what about the other 10,000 players that you've encountered? throughout your career, if you're going to name off all world talent at, on your resume as guys that you've basically got a chance to work with, then, um, you know, what I mean, they should be more than just the one of ones that come through the NBA. So I'm not going to say like, oh, 
yeah, he worked with Luca, la, 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 la. Like, I mean, in between those 20 years, what what about those other 20 players? That So that's my point on that. Yeah, the reason why I asked, because um, to see a league leader in scoring these days, he almost have to have an offense catered to him to do that. And I'm not sure if we we'll, if we will see Jalen Green actually get as many opportunities to lead the league in scoring. If he got another dynamic score in Kevin Porter Jr. that likes to score next to him, unless Kevin Porter Jr. just switches his whole entire game up and just become a pass first, second, you know, and and, and actually recognizes Jalen for the scoring threat that he is and just all he thinking about is how I'm going to maneuver through this crowd just to get Jalen a shot, not to get my shot. So I think a lot of it hinges on KPJ as well. If he's that type of point guard that will step back enough and know his role. Like if Jalen just going off, you know what I'm saying? He's just going off and he's going to have 50 probably. Is KPJ going to get in the way of that? You know, that's the only thing I'm worried about. I mean, that brings up an excellent, like, question or point. You know, let's say you can pick the best shoot-first point guard in the NBA. Does he make Jalen Green better? And, I, and I, I'm i trying to go through my mind of all the best shoot-first point guards, the point, the, the point guards that can score and then develop. And I can't think of anyone who pairs well enough to unlock that next level with Jalen Green. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Yeah, I would say as far as we'll space with your point first, I mean, we've seen it with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and even James Harden to a lesser extent at OKC where KD, I think he led the league in scoring like at least three times in his prime over there. So we've seen it, but the only thing is then the team has to be built built in such a way that they're the scoring so concentrated on the two of them. And I'll give you a picture of what that looks like those last few games during the season. Because if you looked at the percentages, it was probably they, they scored about 70% of the team's points in those games, while the other players like Shangun, um, like uh K, uh, like uh, Tate, um, KJ everybody else kind of took a step back and was more, were more there for screening and helping kind of facilitate their scoring and which is okay. You know, we've seen that model, you know, take teams to the finals. We've seen that model win championships before, Um, but I'm not sure that's coach Silas's model. I think in a perfect world, you have that dynamic ball handler. And I think they envision either Kevin Porter or Jalen being those two guys. And then everybody else around them are just, uh, toys and pieces they use to execute whatever they want to do. And I think to that extent, I, they probably can lead the league in scoring, but it's going to come down to in that type of offense with the Lucas, with the Hardens, does that win you a championship? And that's really going to come down to the question because I personally, I don't think you can have those heliocentric one player that makes every decision, one guard that everybody else is just standing um, waiting for the ball, dominate and in the you know in this third round of the playoffs in the in the conference finals against an elite defense. So that's you know that's those are future concerns. Right now, my thing I'm just really excited about watching him develop, and maybe Co- we don't have to even find out that question because Kosas might not even be here for that. So 
you know, we'll see. What are you looking? For, what are you looking for in Jalen Green next season? Like, what? What? If you saw one thing from him, what would what would cement to you saying, okay, he had a successful season? I'll go first. Uh, for me, more of the same, kind of uh, keeping along with what he did on the second half. One scoring metric I want to see from him on the offensive side, he needs to get to the line more. That was something like he he's still that young guard that tries to avoid contact and um, kind of doesn't want to initiate it. And I think for him to even get in the conversation of being a league-leading top five scorer, you have to be one of those guys that can draw fouls. That's like a prerequisite. And if he can do that on offense, he'll be good. And on defense, not getting uh, – it's not his on-ball defense. His off-ball defense can be atrocious at times. So if he can just focus and lock in on that end of the court, the numbers will take care of themselves. I'm thinking 20 points, 21, 22 points. I think that'll be – if he just improves in those two things, I know he's going in the right direction. Yeah, I agree. I think <clears> – I want to see his handle get a little tight. Because if his handle get a little tighter, I mean, wow. I mean, he can he, he really going to be blowing by people and making people second guess uh, their reads and making people overreact to uh, him having the ball in his hands. And he can use his gravity to actually get more of his other guys involved if that's what he chooses to do. And I just think all of that will come with him being able to break his man down one-on-one, even though – um, you know, like you were saying, that's not a way to really win a championship, but we're not looking for a championship right now. I want to see him getting better, actually beating his man one-on-one and not just beating him because of his speed, actually beating him and breaking him down because of your handle. That's a whole totally different ball game. If, if, if a guy watching you like, oh, 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 and then you gone, you know, I think that's a whole nother totally different ball game that would elevate him to another level of, of scoring. And, and, and like Frank was saying, yeah, he do need to get to the line. And I think he was kind of disappointing at the line when he got there to me a little bit. I think he should have been a higher free throw maker and taker last year, but that comes with growth. So I'm not going to knock him with, for that too much. But if I see him coming out, being aggressive, looking like I really just want to see his mojo to start the season. Like this is my team. I want him to look like it's his team. I don't want it. I don't want Kevin Porter Jr. to look like it's his team. I don't want Tate to make it look like his team. I want to see if Green gonna come out with that mentality. Like this is my team. Everybody else pretty much fall in line. That's what I want to see, and I know he's going in the right direction. Would you say that you would pay to see Jalen Green in person if he added all those skills? I, I I paid for to go see him twice last season. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so well, yes, of course I will. Like I mean, would? he okay. he will be he will be uh, an offensive juggernaut. You know what I'm saying? He will be must see TV. Then he will be John Morant with a capable three ball shot and a mid range game. Okay, so if you would pay for him, and you say he added all these skill sets, I bet people listening to this pod are willing to pay for him too, and. If they want to pay for Jalen Green to see him live dunk on different players, you want to see Kevin Porter Jr., um, you know, cross up your, you know, the other team's guard. You want to see all these things. Uh, right now, if you check at, in the link in the description of this video or in this pod and go to Ticket Network and click the link to go to Ticket, Ticket Network. Ticket Network is 
uh, the nation's uh, one of the nation's leading ticket selling companies with uh, access to over 100,000 concerts, sports uh, events, venues. And all of this is backed by a professional selling ticket company that has 100 percent money back guarantee. Um, it's usually 20 percent lower than what you will find on the other apps that you buy your tickets on. So we got the season coming up right now. They have a sale going on. So click the link in the description. Go to Ticket Network and get you some tickets to these Rockets games. They're cheap right now. So I'm telling y'all, go get these tickets because once Jalen adds his little bag like Space talking about and gets to the line like Alan says, those tickets are going to jump up. But, yeah. Get 20% tickets. off. Yeah. Moving right along, uh, we're going to go right ahead and talk about some more young studs that's in the league. And now it's the top three young duos in the league. Who want to go ahead and kick this one out first? Alan, do the honors, bro. Gladly. Okay. Let's see what you got. So, uh, so our uh, what was it? The our requirements were they got to be they had to under be... twenty four and under, right? Yep. So I, I'm going to take a cop out and pick the easy one to to start out, which is uh, Morant and Bain. Uh, okay. I think what they're doing is already yielding dividends. It looks great. Uh, they've got a great rapport with each other. The fact that Morant takes his M- MIP award and hands it to Bain and says, I couldn't do this without you. I mean, that's 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 great on and off the court to see they have that kind of relationship. They've had success. They work together. Um, they complement each other. And so, like, I really – I'm really excited about that duo. Um, and then uh, I know it's gonna, it's gonna. I know I'm on a Rockets podcast, and I'm gonna give some love to Detroit, but and it's gonna, it's gonna anger some people. But I think Ivy and Cunningham and kind of have a similar uh, situation uh, brewing because you've got hot and cold between the two. You've got, you know, Kate is a very traditional point guard versus Ivy is one of those players who plays better downhill, um, and you see. Kate is is very methodical and very slow in his approach versus Ivy is just going to give you that speed. And I think they're going to complement each other really well as well. And uh, my third top three, or uh, uh, my third duo that I would pick, I, I really hate saying this because they're the Sacramento Kings duo and I never want to bet on the Kings, but it's going to go uh, Fox and Mitchell. I think you've got two guys who can play defensively together. Uh, apparently, Davian's uh, work ethic is just is phenomenal. Like it's gotten to the point where people are pulling him back and saying, "Hey, man, save him for the regular season," <laughs> which is which is That's great. Crazy. That's the way it should be. And uh, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I actually hopped on some Kings podcasts and listened, and they're excited out about this combo and uh they weren't on the sacramento kings and <laughs> hey, you know what, what they call him off night is that is like his nickname it's <laughs> off night i love that nickname that's the best nickname in the nba right now because that dude will clamp you i'm gonna go next let me see i'm excited to uh you stole i mean you didn't steal him but i'm i i think uh, if we're being objective because i think there's one person in this pod that's not going to be objective and by process of elimination, we already know that's going to be. If we're being objective, John Moran and Desmond Bain, that's number one. And I actually was able to, like, do their combined stats. So John Moran, Desmond Bain, field goal percentage, 48. They're shooting 39% from three as a duo. 
uh, EFG of 55%. Total rebounds, 10, assists, 9.4, averaging 45.6 points a game. So I think I have them one. I mean, that's that line. The efficiency is there. Number two, um, I got Halliburton and uh, Duarte. Now that's if Tyrese is that, that prototypical point guard that, you know, a lot of people wanted in Houston um, to pair up with Jalen Green. Um, But I think the combo of his playmaking and Chris Duarte's sharp shooting, uh, Chris Duarte is a sneaky good player. And I think a lot of people sleep on him, but he is, he is a, a good player that, you know, I think in the coming years, he'll be a serviceable, like maybe like a fourth, fifth guy on a good team. Um, type of player, but um, together 47%, uh, 39 from three, uh, similar to uh, John Moran and Bain. Average 30 points, not as much, so 15 points less. 11 assists together, 8.4 rebounds. And then the the third was really hard um, because I put in, you know, thought about their stats and I thought about, okay, potential. I had to go with Jalen and Kevin Porter Jr. because I think uh, their duo was really compromised by the team construction early on. As we discussed earlier, like Cade was allowed to free reign from day one. You know, what I mean, uh, Fox, all these guys, when they got to their teams, it was full go. Like, you're the guy. Hey, we drafted you really high. So we're going to put the ball in your hands and let you go to work. Jalen really and even Kevin Porter, to an extent, to me, I feel like the fact that he wasn't looking as good was because he had to kind of deal with the Christian Wood and the Tates of the world and all this kind of that dynamic going on. So him and uh, Jalen and KPJ, the efficiency isn't great. 42% from the field, 36 from three, only 51 true shooting, um, 32 points per game, uh, 7.8 rebounds, 8.8 assists. But I think just athletically, um, their build, both about 6'5", 6'6". The scoring ability, I I think, is unique to almost this entire group, except maybe Ja Morant. So to me, I, I see them as a John Morant upside type guys um, just haven't been unlocked yet. But honorable mention uh, for me is going to be uh, Josh Gideon SGA. Uh, if you look at their stats together, they would if they play together, they actually average a, a triple double 37, 12 and 12 because they're both, you know, Giddy is a great rebounder. SGA can facilitate and, and uh, they can both. Well, SGA can score. Giddy is not so much. But yeah, those are my top three. So let, let's see what. Um, my man space got since I didn't, I didn't, I checked, uh, I eight miles you, bro. <laughs> so you didn't took all my players, you know, my whole little, you know, so I'm gonna throw a curveball in there with you. Okay. I'm gonna go. I really want to see Pablo Bancaro and Franz Wagner together. That's a I front think, court. That's a real curve. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. So you, you left me out of options. Okay. 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 <laughs> you left me out of options. You know what I'm saying? So I really want to see what they, because they both can be a mismatch on the wings. If they both uh, clicking and if Paulo is really going to be that facilitator, like I think he will be for the uh, magic. Most of the, most of the, uh, at least the beginning of the season until Markel Fultz and everybody, you know, uh, come back healthy and all i want to see how you know the chemistry between them two because those are the two they're not little they're not little guys you know and they they're, they're athletic and they'll dunk on you and they both can shoot i think it's an interesting pairing in between them two i don't think they cancel each other out because they so much uh alike to where they can actually stretch the court to where they don't both have to operate in the same space 
and they both big enough to where uh, they can get in the way of some people defensively and deter them from going straight, you know, straight head to the basket. Paolo, he was questioning his motor. I want to see is that motor really going to be motoring? <laughs> is it going to be running or is he going to uh, sit back and try to just be an offensive star? I think that'll be a lot uh, of, to do with the success of Orlando Magic if Franz and Paolo come out and actually want to play defense as well as they will play offense. And I think I think it's going to be interesting with the Orlando Magic. Yeah. The next one I go, I go with I can't it's like I can't pass up John Moran and Desmond Bain. Like I can't like they they kind of proven it's, I reiterate on a lot of what, what uh, Frank was saying. Uh, John Moran, he's just a dog. He got that dog in him. Desmond Bain got that dog in him. He already ran off the statistics. They good together. Even when John Moran was hurt, Desmond Bain picked up the slack, and he was actually uh, their best player for a nice stretch of the season. And I think there's no reason to think that they won't continue that in the near future. So I got to get them. Got to get them in the top three. And I cannot go without putting my man's Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green in it. I think as far as star potential, like both of these guys can be a star in their own right on a separate team. Only hang-up is will their playing style, you know, lend itself to – uh, helping out the uh, the next one. If they figure out how to actually play together and how to actually move the ball and don't be selfish and play some defense, these guys got the the potential to be one of the greatest backcourts we ever seen. Truthfully, because they're both six six, they're not little guards. They both got a shot. They both ultra athletic. They're both ultra quick. They both got that mentality of well, they're gonna go get it. I think they're both some go getters. Kevin Porter Jr. has shown have ice water in his veins. He will make the big shots. I want to see if Jalen Green will take the next step and he start making big shots. We've seen him make big shots uh, against the uh, Lakers and a couple against like the Wizards. Like I think them two together will give defensive nightmares, especially if they got little guards trying to hold them. So I'm going to go number one just because I'm not saying it's because I'm a Rockets fan. You know, maybe I am. I ain't going to lie. I'm a homer. <laughs> I'm a homer. But I really like them together. I think if they figure it out, the sky's the limit for them too. I think they can win They can win some championships together if they really figure it out, them two. And, and with Jabari defensive, man, I think I think we, we, we cooking with, with, with fish grease over here. I, uh, so I'll be the first to admit, Frank, when you said uh, uh, Gideon SGA, part of me is a hater, uh, and I will always hate the Thunder. Uh, I I will be on record until the day that franchise closes that I hate the Thunder. But I tried to put that, push those feelings down, and think about <laughs> Gideon SGA. And I'm wondering if SGA is just going to stay there or SGA is going to get frustrated and leave. And that's the only reason I I I, I slipped in. Basically, my uh, the uh, Fox and um, uh, Fox and Mitchell. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't have slipped in Fox and Mitchell. I, I, SGA 
is really talented. Giddy is really, really exciting. You know, I, I agree with you. They're a great honorable mention. I don't know if those attitudes will mesh. Um, that's the yeah. same thing with KPJ and Green. Like, Space, you touch on beautifully. Can they can they work together? Can they figure something out? Because I think all the other... You can see how the pieces fit together. I just can't see it in those two duos yet. But I could be wrong. Man. The only thing is, do are we going to eventually see... Do Jalen Green need to have to, the ball to be maximized? If he don't need to have the ball, then I think they can coexist perfectly. If he could be a high-efficiency, KD-ish type uh, player, well, he's just high-efficiency. No matter what he's doing, he's doing it at a efficient level. Then he could play alongside anybody because I think, I think, I think I he think got the more of the that. qualities to do that than KD. We saw that. We, we saw that towards the, you know, I believe he can play with. He's, his game is not stuck to a style yet and i hope they keep that going because we saw that and the the fact the ending of my article that i wrote about him um the one player that basically if you look at his shot profile um and efficiency that matched up with him was clay thompson there was only one player for the touches he had the points he had um the efficiency he had it was him and clay so to have that in a guard that moves like john moran is you know so i'm hoping that's something he keeps going forward it's funny because we started the season kind of talking about him like a Devin Booker-like player, and I think he's established to be a much different type of player. And I, I, I would, I would argue, much higher upside than 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 Booker. If you're if you're putting him in the field of Clay Thompson, like I love Devin Booker. I have Phoenix Suns fan friends, you know, and family. I, I'd love for them to win a title, but Devin Booker and Clay Thompson are not even in the same, you know space so yeah yeah but i think he's he could be more athletic devin booker but i just don't i don't like devin booker's shot selection truthfully what i don't like his shot selection you don't don't. like contested um (laughs) mid-range no i don't like i don't like in his (laughs) in his three ball is not that wet enough to where you is guaranteed you know some guys when they shoot it you like that's going in Devin Booker, he's so high, he's so low. Like that seventy point game almost seemed like an apparition at this point because it's like, how did he actually get seventy? You know, and, and I'm not hating on Devin Booker. I think he's amazing talent. You know what I'm saying? But he just don't take the correct shots all, all the time. That's that's that's. But that's my gripe with Devin Booker. All right, we're gonna keep it pushing right now to this NBA mid season tournament. The NBA is trying to shake some things up. I don't know if they borrowing this from the Premier League, the Canadian League, some <laughs> league, some soccer uh, venture they trying to pull off on us. Uh, this is America, <laughs> but uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really get the whole NBA midseason tournament thing. Can you explain it to me, Alan? Show and maybe I'm just got it mixed up. So when I looked at this, I thought it was kind of modeled like the MLS Open Cup. And at first I was really, really excited about it. Um, without going too too much into the details of American soccer and all that stuff, because this isn't a soccer podcast, the MLS Open Cup basically opens up the idea that you have pro teams and you have semi-pro teams, and they all compete against each other. So the MLS will send its B and C teams into the Open Cup, 
and the semi-pro teams will send their A teams to go up, and they battle against each other. And there's a lot of prize money on the on the line. Uh, there's uh, I think it's three hundred thousand dollars goes to the winner, a hundred thousand dollars goes to the second. Any of the semi-pro teams that beat an MLS team, they get like ten grand for victory. So it's kind of obnoxious, and it's a great cash grab for the lower division teams to really build up, and it's a great cash grab for the for the MLS because they sell more tickets and they have more games that they can put on. Unfortunately, this midseason tournament isn't like that. They're not opening it up to the G League. Um, we don't know the prizes yet. Maybe there's prizes. Maybe there's tax considerations. Maybe there's other things going on with it. And I understand the point of it in terms of so the NBA makes about one to two million dollars per game in ticket sales alone. That's not that's not anything other than ticket sales. That's not the TV deals. That's not any of the advertising. That's just ticket sales. So for the NBA, you're putting on a show and you get they get one extra game out of this. That's two million dollars. That's 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 a pretty good amount of money. And then it invigorates the beginning of the season. But beyond that, like, who's going to be good in that initial stretch? Are we going to see teams we want to see? Or are we just going to see, you know, just who's lucky early on in the season? And I I don't know. I'm on the fence about this. I was excited at first. And now I'm kind of like, eh, it's okay. I think it's going to take some retooling. I don't, I don't think this is the final version of what we're going to see. Yeah. And – I mean, you explained that perfectly, and I'm 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 more leaning towards excited because I can see a scenario. Because you guys notice a lot of times during the start of the season, the bad teams are good sometimes, and there's always like two or three teams that are like, "Wow, have you seen the Hornets? They're on a 15 and five start." Then they go to hell after December, <laughs> after Christmas. So the way it's written, it says eight teams advance to a single elimination final. That's going to be in December. Usually it takes about 22 games or so to get to December for the NBA in a regular non-COVID type season. So you can imagine 20, 21, 25 games into the season, it could be anybody's, um, you know, could be in those top eight. A lot of the good teams and Rockets fans can remember this. A lot of the Rockets years, we started off pretty bad, you know, and um, it took us, you know, a lot of those teams, they kind of chill until, after the holidays or after all-star break, that's when these good teams turn up. So what I envision this being is like something like a, a young guy, a young team's tournament where the rockets of the world, the Orlando's of the world, the OKC's of the world have something to play for before their teams start tanking and closer to the trade deadline. Because I think most teams do give it a go to start the season just to see what might happen. And most of them make the strategic um goal to like okay we're gonna shut guys down we're gonna trade this guy let's we're not doing anything this year so i can see this becoming like the finals for the bottom feeders in the nba and if it if that is what it's going to become in the next few years then i love it because at least it gives relevance to the half of the season for the bad teams then when they start tanking we can look forward to the top tier teams gearing up for the playoffs so you know, makes the money. I think it can be compelling. It just depends. It all depends on what those prizes are. Is it going to be draft flexibility? Is it going to be money, more room on their cap? Is it going to be um, an exception here? You know, they have to make it worth the team's risking injury. And, um, you know, I think it also says that whoever 
is the winner, they get to play an extra game. So I'm not even sure if that's going to be something that people are going to be clamoring for. But, you know, I think the NBA just has to really make it in, in, insightful um, and uh, incentivize for their uh, for, for the players uh, and for the audience to see if this is something going to be successful. But I'm, I'm here for it. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I don't see no I don't see no reason for it besides a money grab. That's the only thing I see good that will come out of this is for the owners or the commissioners or uh not the owners, the uh what are they now? Gotta be PC around here. They are They're, the governors, uh, the governors. Governors. <laughs> yeah, we uh I only space, see the governors. Real quick, so you wanna call it the Tillman Cup? <laughs> I mean the Tillman Cup, the uh Whoever cup the uh anybody cup it it call it the piss cup because I don't care about it truthfully I think I think is it it don't make sense it really don't make sense to me because who who's really like you said who's really know what their team even is by then and then who because they didn't clarify what which eight teams are going to be picked and choose. How are they picking and choosing these eight teams? Is it these teams that's like you said, bottom feeders or small market teams that really don't never get to play on a big stage playoff type team? Then yes, it would be exciting for those hand few of fan bases to rally around and say, "Hey, we can uh, actually make a name for ourselves. We we coming because we we won the midseason tournament. Look out for us." later on in the playoffs because we that's a bar that we can set you know what i'm saying to say so if it's all like lower teams like the low the bottom four in the east versus the bottom four in the west something like that you know what i'm saying i think that will be more entertaining and more just have more to uh play for because it's it's actually giving you an incentive, like, hey, you know what I'm saying? We we're 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 sucky. Yeah, we we know we sucking, but we are in this tournament to to push us and make the product of the bottom tier teams better and make and bring you know certain eyes to certain teams that people don't see on the regular. Like if you living on the West Coast, you hardly ever gonna watch a, a Charlotte Hornets game or somebody on the East Coast, you know, because one, they suck. You don't really care. Then they they gonna play when you you know at work or just waking up or some some crazy time. So it will give the uh, normal fan an incentive to watch them and be like, hey, these are the upcoming. It'll be almost like a rising stars, but mid season. You understand what I'm saying? Like I don't see LeBron and KD and Dame and all these guys getting rallying up saying, "Hey, we got to go win this midseason tournament." I think, and then you already got guys that's you know they already player management and sitting games out and all of this other stuff. Like it's got to be a hell of an incentive for an established team, an established player to commit to a mid-season tournament. And unless they just going to get the bottom four from each division, I don't see how it's really going to benefit the players in the long run. So I might be misreading this, and I might be uh, I might be seeing what I want to see here, but 
I really think uh, looking at it, Adam Silver has been given a directive of how do we get more revenue. And um, I, look, I'll be the first to admit it being a cash grab is not the worst thing in the world. But if you look at it and expand, we're going to get two more NBA teams. Uh, potentially Seattle and Vegas are going to get their own NBA teams. There's this midseason tournament. And then we've got the upcoming CBA coming up uh, where uh, the players are asking for a bigger part of the revenue split. And owners are saying, hey, we lost a lot of money during COVID. So you shouldn't get a bigger player revenue split. So I think there is some credence to the idea that it is a cash grab. But with that said, if it's a good product, I'll buy it. I don't care. I don't care that it's a cash grab. If it's something that we'll buy into and we'll see teams play, even if it's bottom feeders, I don't care. I'll like that because that's how you see these up and coming teams and you get excited. It's almost like uh, if you watch wrestling, like the King of the Ring tournament. That's what this should be. This is what it should be. It should be who is going to be the next champion five years from now. All right. Thanks again for joining us at the Chop Shop. Thanks, Alan Show, for coming through. You know, it's always love, brother. Thanks for coming in and lacing us with the knowledge. Houston Strong, of course. Frank, thank you for gracing us again with your enlightful insights about the everything that Jalen Green, you know, got going on. And go check out his article. It is fire. Check out the uh, Chop Shop webpage at HGX Chop Shop. Go check us out. It's been real. Countdown to the season. I think it's what, like 26 days, 25 days till the season start. We will be here for you. Come get all your Rockets news at the Chop Shop. Appreciate it.